Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Zewatanejo. I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you, and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you, and finds you well. Your friend, Andy. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Culturing, where we talk about our favorite movies, right, sweetie? And TV shows. And TV shows, because I think we did one on Sex and the City, which was technically a TV show. And didn't we do another? We did Stranger Things, but I guess we did that for Zen Parenting Radio. That was on ZPR. Yeah, speaking of, this uh, episode of Pop Culturing is brought to you by Zen Parenting Radio (laughs) and Zen Parenting Radio's conference, 2020. Yes. If you're interested in hearing more about the conference, it's the Parenting Palooza no, it's Lollapalooza for Parents. Oh, Lollapalooza for Parents. That's what Chicago Tribune called us. That's right. But uh, if you're interested in any of that, go to ZenParentingRadio.com. And click on events. Click on events. Uh, we are going to talk about Shawshank Redemption, or as some people call it, Shimshack Production. Who calls it that? Tim Robbins used to always talk about how people would walk up to him on the street <laughs> and they would mispronounce its name. It's funny because the name it was... They think is one of the main reasons why people didn't go see it. I 100% agree. In the theater. It doesn't describe anything. You don't know what it means. And not only that, like if you think about it, it's a movie about prison. Like, oh, can't wait to go see that movie about prison. Totally. But now that we know how good this movie is, we don't think about it. Well, and not only that, but now it's become part of our like common language. There In the Urban Dictionary, um, the word Shawshanked, is what it means when you're scrolling or when you're going through cable and you find something that sucks you in. Oh, really? It doesn't even have to be Shawshank Redemption. I got Shawshanked? I got Shawshanked into this movie. Well, it's funny. The reason it's on TNT all the time is because, I don't know, something about... it's. This is in my random facts that I'll try to find, but Ted Turner sold it for an obscenely low number, so people like bought it and just played they it over and over and over, over, and over again. Yeah. Kind of like and they did with it, It's a Wonderful Life way back when. Exactly. Except I think that was free. Yeah. They No one was getting yeah. any money, so that's why they could do it. Um, Sweetie, a fly just showed up in our studio. Uh, I can't even talk about it. It's it's a very rainy out today, and that they're, it's heavy, and that's yes. when the flies like to fly around. But anyway, that is exactly correct, what you said about the title. And the former title of the movie was um, Rita Hayworth. Rita Hayworth and, and Shawshank Redemption. Yes, and, and that would have been even worse. Yeah. Yeah, because people would have thought it's a movie about Rita Hayworth. And we didn't listen to very long of the director's cut, but one of the things that the director... How do you pronounce his last name? Uh, Frank Darabont. Darabont. What he said is that he kept getting a bunch of people who were getting in touch with them who wanted to try out for Rita Hayworth. And they were like, we love your script. Can I send you my, you know, someone to try out for Rita Hayworth? And he's like, obviously they haven't read the script because she's not in she's it. Not in it. Um, but obviously we know why that was the title because that was Andy's first poster. So a few leading things about this amazing movie. It was written uh, as a short novella. They always talk about novella. What's a novella? We talked about this with Stand By Me. It's, like, it's just a collection of short, short stories? stories. Mm-hmm. 
Why don't they just call it a collection of short stories? What's with the fancy word? Well, why don't we just accept the word and, and add it because to our Because I don't use the word novella, so they should use short stories. <laughs> well, okay. Um, written by Stephen King, uh, directed uh, and the screenplay by Frank Darabont. Uh, the budget, $25 million. The gross in the box office, take a guess. Um, I actually know. What it, is it? It was $28 million. Very good, $28 yeah. million. Um, Which is, by the way, nothing. No, it, w- it made good. $3 million, yeah. which is a colossal failure, yeah. if you think about mm-hmm. it. Um, IMDb, you know, the Internet Movie Database? Uh-huh. Guess where uh, it ranks in the top 250 movies of all time? Number one. Number one. And it has for 11 years. That's crazy. Yep. Yeah. What's up with that? Well, the key to this movie is you have to see the movie. Yeah. Because if you just watch a trailer or someone tells you about it, you're not going to get the effect. So anybody listening to this who hasn't seen The Shawshank Redemption, I hope you enjoy the podcast. But if you really want to have a, a movie that will make you feel, then you need to go watch it. Or if you're like, yeah, I think I saw that, but I can't remember, then start again. I'm on IMDb right now, which is Internet Movie Database. Shawshank is one. Godfather's two. Godfather Part Two is three. The Dark Knight, four. I love The Dark Knight. That's one of my favorite movies. Just closing out these top 10, 12 Angry Men. I have seen that. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. 1957. Schindler's List, number six. Lord of the Rings, seven. I've never seen that. I did. You saw Lord of the Rings? I saw it on an airplane on the way to Seattle, like last month. Okay. Uh, Pulp Fiction is eight. Good, Bad, and the Ugly, nine. And Fight Club is 10. Fight Club is 10? I saw Fight Club. I don't think it's as good as everybody says it is. That's shocking to me because I was just listening to a podcast where they were talking about how how Fight Club hasn't really had legs. I mean, I know Fight Club is its own thing, meaning we The talk, surprise ending thing? Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's got a twist and it it is we talk about it. Like people use the quote, you know, first rule of Fight Club. Don't talk about Don't talk Fight about Club. Fight Club. And actually, that's the second rule, too. Safe to say that we're not going to do a pop culturing on Fight Club. Probably not. Um, awards. You ready? Yes. Seven Oscars. Seven Oscar nominations. Nominations. Yeah. Thank you. They didn't win any of these. Right. Best picture. Best actor. Tim Rob or Tim Robbins. Uh, I think it was Morgan Freeman. Morgan was, Freeman. Oh, so they put Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins up against each other. Uh, I'll look, but I think um, I think Tim Robbins was not in the best actor car- oh, category. Oh, interesting. I'll double check. Uh, best screenplay, cinematography, sound, editing, and score. Here, you want to know um, the movies that were uh, they were up against? For I know. Best picture. I know two of them. What is it? Uh, Forrest Gump. Yep. Because that was 1994, yep. right? Yep. And Pulp Fiction. Very was good. 1994. The other two were Four Weddings and a Funeral. Great movie. Which you like more than me. I love that movie. And Quiz Show. Quiz Show is one of those movies that I loved and I don't ever need to watch it again. Yes. So that's not a movie that I would get Shawshanked by. (laughs) (laughs) I I like how you're using the verb now. Yeah, let's bring it in. Um, Best actor, Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump, John Travolta for Pulp Fiction, some guy named Hawthorne for Madness of King George. Okay. Never heard of that. And Paul Newman, Nobody's Fool. Yeah. Um, So anyways... Uh, so yeah. So Tom Hanks won two years in a row because he won for Philadelphia the year before and then he won for Forrest Gump the next year. And then the following year, he got nominated for Apollo 13. Yes. He did not win and he hasn't won since. Yes. Well, um, he, he was on fire there for a while, wasn't he? Oh my gosh. Back that to was... back. And what's funny is if Tom Hanks, who's good in anything he does, 
chose Shawshank, we wouldn't have a Forrest Gump. Correct. You're and, right, because it was the same time. And we wouldn't have a Tim Robbins. You know what? Just to give the actress category the same thing, uh, Jodie Foster won for The Accused, mm-hmm. and then the next year won for The Silence of the Lambs. Wow, back She had back. the exact same experience. I was just watching that 70s uh, movie uh, documentary yeah. on CNN, mm-hmm. and Jack Nicholson um, lost for some movie for Best Actor, and I forget which movie it was, and the guy behind him sitting at the Oscars, when the other person's name was called out, he said, I'm so sorry, Jack, you lost. He's like, no problem. It's in the bag for One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest next year. And he ended up winning it. Oh, so, you're kidding me. So he's like, don't worry. I'm going to win it next year. <laughs> and he did. But how would he know that? Because you because never know he, how something is going to be received. I don't know. Like don't you know. can do, I've heard actors, I listen to so many interviews with actors and directors and they'll say, I thought this was the movie, and it won't be. And then there'll be something like, you know, my big fat Greek wedding that yeah. no one's paying attention to. Sudden. And all of a sudden, everybody is like, this is the movie. Yes. So, you know, you never know. I have a, and I did not read this. I'm just kind of still thinking about the fact that Tim Robbins wasn't nominated. Yes, he was not. It was Morgan Freeman. So, and Morgan Freeman absolutely deserved a nomination, but so did Tim Robbins, in my opinion. Um, and he ended up winning several years later for Mystic Pizza, no, Mystic Pizza. Mystic River. Mystic River. Yeah. Not for Mystic Pizza. Um, For Mystic River. And I wonder, don't you always wonder, like it was for best supporting. Yeah. But don't you think sometimes, and I don't think this is a mystery to anybody, that sometimes people win Oscars because it's just time for them to win an Oscar. For sure. That it's not their best performance. Yeah, they do like the, I think Paul Newman did that for Color of Money. Now he was good in Color of Money. Right. But he was also nominated 10 times before that never won. So they're like, all right, we got to give it to this guy. We right. thought that was going to happen with Glenn Close, Glenn oh, Close last year. Should have. Don't get me into the Glenn Close thing. I get all upset. And I remember it, and, and this wasn't the same thing because this isn't as long of a career as Paul Newman had. But I remember when Renee Zellweger won for Cold Mountain. Yeah. It was so random. Never even heard of that movie. Well, that's what I mean. It was so random. And she had been nominated for Chicago the year before where she had to basically learn how to, to sing dance and, dance and sing. And speaking of, on this tangent of uh, Tangents. Renee Zellweger, she is in a movie this year about Judy Garland where oh. she sings. Okay. And it's she supposed to be amazing. Is she going to wear red amazing. slippers? She's not Dorothy. She's oh. Judy Garland. But but isn't that all what Judy Garland did? Uh, yeah. Sweetie's, or, uh, Todd's Meet got me in St. Louis. Limited uh, Judy Wasn't Garland. Wasn't there a Judy Garland St. Louis movie? Yeah, Meet Me in St. Louis. That's right. Yeah. What's that all about? Clang, clang, clang goes a trolley. How many people know what you're talking about right now other uh, than you? Judy Garland fans like me. Um, okay. So a few casting what ifs. Do okay. you want to do that right now? You got to call it something else. Um, casting possibilities. Thank you. <laughs> We're stealing some this, of our ideas off of uh, well, The Rewatchables. I, the Rewatchables is a show we love, and we would probably talk about this no matter what, but if you call it the same thing they call it, then we don't have any of our What own. if casting? Instead of casting what people that might have been in it. There you go. Okay. Uh, Rob Reiner offered to buy it from uh, Frank Darabont, who actually um, convinced Stephen King to let him have it. Okay, start that over. Who convinced Stephen King to let him have it? Frank Darabont had a relationship with Stephen King. Got it. And said, "I want to make a run at the Shawshank movie. Cool. And would you let me take a run at it?" And I think Stephen King read it. And said, "Okay, go go do it." And so he got somehow. I don't know what he bought what it bought it for, but 
He got it on the cheap. And Rob Reiner, who had bought Stand By Me yes. from Stephen King, yes. now wanted to do Shawshank. Yes, he offered but... to buy it for $3 million, okay. but Darabont said no. Okay. And Rob Reiner's idea was for Tom Cruise to play Andy yeah. and Harrison Ford to play Red. Yeah. And he turned it down so the director can direct it himself. So kind of like a little rock, uh, Sylvester Stallone action. There. I was just going to say he pulled a Rocky or he pulled a Goodwill Hunting. Some possibilities to play Red, Gene Hackman. I could see that. Robert Duvall, Robert Redford, okay. Paul Newman, Clint Eastwood, and Sidney Poitier. 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 Any comments? So the only one that made me go I could see that is Gene Hackman. Really? Yeah, um, because all amazing actors. They you are. It's not. And just you know doesn't what? fit. It it just doesn't. What Morgan Freeman did is he's got kind of a feel that I kind of feel similar to Gene Hackman, mm-hmm. like being somebody who you trust has possibly had a difficult past, but is an actually kind, very evolved human, and um, I don't know Robert Redford is too good looking and like the, the, the other guys seem too polished for me. You think so? Yeah. Um, so some of the others were, uh, so we did the red Andy, Tom Hanks passed. We already talked about that. Kevin Costner was doing Waterworld, And I'm sure he regrets that. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Sheen offered to make it on actor's minimum wage. He wanted it so badly. He wanted to be Andy. Yes. So what's, uh, what's the difference in age between Tim Robbins and Charlie Sheen? Do you know? Uh, probably about the same age. Do no? you think? I don't know. I'll look it up. You keep going. You lock, look it up. Okay. Um, you lock it up. You better lock it up. <laughs> Jeff Bridges, Nicolas Cage, Johnny Depp, Matthew Broderick, Ferris Bueller himself. No, thank you. You know what role I always struggle, struggle with with I, Matthew Broderick is, um, did you ever see Glory? Uh, no, but I should. He was in Glory, and and people say he was great in it. Like he he got some acting props for it, but I couldn't. I kept thinking Ferris Bueller is in the Civil War. Yeah, that is weird. It it was it, it was kind of like we see Uncle Ed from Vacation and anything other than Vacation. You're talking about Randy Quaid. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's just too good at being. Uh, and, Cousin Eddie and Matthew Broderick is too good at being Ferris. And that is called being typecast, right? Yeah. That's always the fear. Is that no one will let you do anything else. Um, okay, and then last, Tommy. Do you remember Tommy? This is Tommy. This thing you got me on destruction of property, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've done a stretch in Cashman, right? Yeah, yeah, that was an easy piece of time, let me tell you. You remember Tommy? Of course I do. I have a Tommy story. Brad Pitt was supposed to be Tommy, but instead he elected to do Interview with a Vampire. Really? Yep. So hold on. Okay. I I have too many things I need to say. First of all, I'm trying to look up um, Charlie Sheen's age because I figured out that Tim Robbins is now 60 years old. Oh my gosh, he's old. Charlie Sheen is, do some quick math for me. He was born in 65. Well, uh, he's seven years older than me. He's 54. So he's younger than Tim Robbins. And do you know his name? His real name is Carlos Estevez. I thought his real name was Bud Fox. (laughs) No, that's just... That's just in Wall Street. I thought his name was Chris Taylor. What's that from? Uh, is that Wild Thing? No. Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor. Charlie Sheen? Platoon? There you go. All right. Good job. Okay. What was his name in uh, Major League? Vaughn? He, Wild Thing. 
Yeah, Vaughn, Ricky Vaughn. Ricky Vaughn. Okay. okay, so going back to the um, Tommy character. So that was played by a guy named Gil Bellows, okay. right? Is that his name, Gil Bellows? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. And I did yeah, not Gil see Bellows. this movie, Shawshank Redemption, when it came out in 94. Right. I didn't see it until probably around 97. Like it was many years after because um, people kept telling me, oh my gosh, you haven't seen it. And I just wasn't interested. And obviously then it became one of my favorite movies. But that year was the year that Allie McBeal came out mm -hmm. and Gil Bellows was an Allie McBeal. Yes. So I remember like watching the movie for the first time being like, oh my God, like it, cause he was kind of, because that show was so big, he was kind of a face on People Magazine all the time. How many episodes of Allie McBeal do you think you watched? I watched the first two seasons every single episode. How many episodes of Allie McBeal do you think I watched? Uh, zero. None. It was, uh, and again, I'm not saying men wouldn't like it, and I don't mean to be so gender specific. I usually specific. like chick shows. It, right, and that's the thing. But it really was, there was a lot of female identity Yeah you know, yeah. things in it. Yeah. One thing that I loved that they were way ahead of their time okay. is they had a non-gendered bathroom. Oh yeah. Both men See and those women all the time now. And I know. Um, two more, uh, casting possibilities. Can I say something about Brad Pitt and interview with the vampire for a second? Well, you love him in that movie. I know. That. I do. Nobody <laughs> likes that movie. Tom Cruise as Lestat. And what kind of a name is Lestat. Well, you haven't read the Anne Rice book, so it doesn't mean anything to you. It's like not understanding who Edward Cullen is. Oh, that's the vampire guy. Yeah. That's Dracula. Twilight. That's no, yeah. it's not Dracula. And he then, sucks blood. He's Dracula. He, that's Dracula's his name. It's not oh. a vampire is someone who sucks blood. Dracula is that person's name. Count Dracula. Oh, okay. I Just didn't know like that. Edward Cullen. But there's a bunch of Draculas out there. <laughs> there's only one Dracula? I do believe so. I, no I mean, idea. obviously the movie has been remade many times. Count All Dracula. Right. Um, so, but... A lot of people feel like that movie... So, and Brad Pitt played Louis, I mm -hmm. think was his name. A lot of people didn't like that movie and they didn't like Tom Cruise in that role or Brad Pitt in that role. That movie to me was awesome. Yeah. I, I could definitely get Shawshanked with that movie. Sweetie, you weren't... You were wrong about there only being one Count Dracula. Yes. <laughs> oh, greetings. It is I, the Count. And it's time to answer that fascinating... He's also Count Dracula. I didn't say there was only one. Like many people have played Count Dracula, but Dracula is not what a vampire is. Those are not synonymous. It's his. It's the vampire's name. All I got to say is there's two Count Draculas, one from Sesame Street and one from the 1947 classic. Like Frankenstein. There's only one of those guys. Well, he's the Frankenstein monster because the guy who made him was named Frankenstein. Oh, but so there's he two doesn't, Frankensteins then. He doesn't represent every monster. All right. He, that was just his name. But we've made Frankenstein mean like what Xerox means. Right. It's become any monster. Scotch tape. Correct. All right. Um... This is uh, inappropriate, but there's a... I don't know what the Should guy's name was. Should you do it then? Well, um, they called him Fat Ass, the guy at the beginning who ends up getting killed. Oh, I can't stand that <clears throat> scene. That's an important scene. Mm -hmm. So explain what happens. Sorry. Um, they, The prisoners bet on who is going to break of the, of the new incoming on their first night, the incoming prisoners that are about to serve most of their life in this jail... Um, they take bets on who's going to break down first because mm -hmm. there's always one that breaks down. Red actually bets on Andy. Right. Andy's quiet. Uh, there's a guy, I don't. I honestly don't remember what his name was. He's the one who stutters. Um, well, yeah, he 
bet on fat ass, right. whatever his name mm-hmm. was. That's what they called him. I'm sorry, I don't know the name of the character. Um, John Favreau read for that, and he said it was his worst audition ever. Oh, and that's what convinced him to lose weight. By the way, wow, it was this pre Rudy, post Rudy. I think it is post Rudy, pre Swingers. It must be. That makes total that would sense. Make sense. Yeah, because Swingers came out in 1997. I don't know. We've done swingers on pop culturing. Yeah, but that was a long time ago. Okay. I don't remember that. So keep going. Last but not least, Boggs, who is one of the men who... One of the sisters. One of the sisters that takes advantage of uh, Andy Dufresne. James Gandolfini Wow, uh, was a possibility. Do you remember what I said to you when we just watched it the other day? Uh, what's creepy about Boggs? Well, there was something creepy about Boggs, but I also thought it's unfortunate for Boggs because he is such a villainous character yeah. um, that he, I wonder anything he read for, if people were like, dude, yeah. you were you were the leader of the sisters. Right. Um, you know, I wonder if that followed him typecasting wise. Um, jumping all around here, as we usually do on this show, uh, as far as villains go, uh-huh. I thought the warden is one of the worst villains ever Absolutely. in movie history. The warden and then the guy who is the um, one of the guards. What's his name? The one who first has Andy do his taxes. That guy was also from Bad Boys with Sean Penn from uh, like the late 70s, and he played a mean guy. The guy's name was Viking. That was the character's name on the show. Clancy something. That's uh, his real name because I, I, he is kind of a known... He's a little like Johnny from Karate Kid. Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown. So He played Captain Hadley. Hadley, that was yeah. his name. He was horrible. Yeah, I think the I think the warden is just so mean, like the one of the meanest guys ever. And maybe I'll play a clip. And it's beyond mean, Todd. It is he is the example of being a complete hypocrite mm-hmm. and taking advantage of people. And there's a cruelty and an evilness mm-hmm. to the way he does it, right? Because it's as if he pretends he's not doing it. But he's constantly doing it. Exactly. And those kind of people um, who, you know, he he made every prisoner have a Bible and he had Bible quotes all over his, uh, you know, his office. This is the scene where the warden is going into the uh, hole, which is where Andy Dufresne... Escaped? No, no. The... Uh, oh, the hole where what he's... What is it called? He's uh, solitary. Solitary confinement. Uh-huh. I will protect you from the guards. Pull you out of that one bunk, Hilton, and cast you down with the sodomites. You'll think you've been fucked by a train. In the library? Gone. Sealed off brick by brick. He's such a bad person. Well, and right there is, I think, well, Andy had already been in solitary for a month, and then he gives him another month. Another month. But that's, I think, where Andy realizes, I will never get out of here. Even is, if I was, they're not going to give me parole. Right. So is that when Andy makes the yes. decision? Do you think it happened in the first month of solitary or this last month? I think the combination of the first month plus finding out the kid got shot. Yeah. Then the warden comes in and says, don't ever try anything again. Yeah. And then he has another month to think about it. The next scene is when he's sitting against the wall and Red comes to talk to him and Andy does the get busy living or get busy dying. The top five uh, most famous villains, uh, according to Wikipedia, sweetie. Okay. Number one, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Number two, Norman Bates. Yeah. Number three, Darth Vader. Yeah. Who ends up being the hero at Return of the Jedi, which is kind of weird. Well, he's not really a hero. He ends up getting He redeemed. kills the emperor. He's a hero. 
you know what? You can't have two seconds of making a good choice and then becomes the hero. It's a big choice. Luke Skywalker is the hero. Yes, he is. And Leia is the hero, and Han is the hero. The last, uh, the number four and five worst villains, Wicked Witch of the West. Nice. And then Nurse Ratchet. Those okay. are the top five. I can see so, that. I'm surprised um, Heath Ledger's Joker's not on there. You would think so. I don't know. Maybe he is, but maybe he's like funny and likable in that movie, even though he's a terrible oh, person. he's terrifying. Yeah. He's, he's an sp- anarchist. Um, can I go back to sure. the scene where the guy um, who's heavy set, I won't call him the bad word, yeah. um, it ends up um, breaking and crying. Yeah. And the guy who's in the cell next to him, uh, did we figure out what that character's name was? Um, the one I who has the stutter? I in one second. His name is... Oh, I In the movie... Um, while you're looking for it, as soon as that guy breaks down and starts crying, um, William Sadler plays Haywood. Haywood. So as soon as he breaks down and starts crying, Haywood's first response is, "Yes, I won. Mm. You know, can't wait to get my cigarettes from you guys. You know, blah blah blah." But then Clancy, the bad, um, the bad guard, guard, comes over and tells the guy, "Stop crying. Shut up. Or right. I'm going to come in and basically get you with my billy club." Yep. And then I think that's a huge character moment um, because Haywood, who a moment before was cheering that he had won that You see his facial expression. He starts saying, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. He doesn't want the man to get hurt. He wanted to win the bet and then then have the guy shut up. And he also has enough heart. I think that moment is purposeful of, number one, knowing what this guard was going to do to him. Mm because they've watched him beat other people and kill other people before because mm. that man ends up dying in the yeah. infirmary. Yes, he does. Um, but he's also, they're also trying to demonstrate cause Haywood is one of, um, Red's best friends. Yep. He's in the crew that these are men with hearts that they're not hardened mm-hmm. by their situation. Um, as hardened as they are, he, he has a heart. So I just really like that scene. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm trying to pull that up right now. I'm not even going to count to one. You will shut the fuck up or I'll sing you a lullaby. Please, man, shut please. Up. It's been a mistake. You don't understand. I'm not- Poor guy. And that's, you can hear him say, man, shut up. I you know? know? Um, so that's a really, I, I kind of feel like the first 30 minutes of this movie. It's tough. I, if I'm finding it on TNT or on cable, I'll pass on the first 30 minutes. So you'll pass on grass. I will pass from the trial through Andy for showing up through that scene, through the sisters. Yeah. And I like to get to where Andy, uh, to the tarring of the roof. Right. Once I'm at the tarring of the roof, uh, I'm fine. Yeah. That's a great scene too. It's a great scene. I think I have that. Do you really? I believe I do. Co-workers, get in. That's rich, ain't it? I think a man working outdoors feels more like a man if you can have a bottle of suds. It's only my opinion. Sir. What'd you think of that scene, sweetie? I think, you know, I actually... How did um, he not drink a beer, by the way? Because he doesn't drink. And he, know, he, but... he didn't do that. He's kind of like a Jesus figure. 
oh, there's so much Jesus symbolism. The church community has adopted this as oh my gosh, you're a Christ me. journey. That these the men are his disciples. Um, I haven't read too much on it, but like you know, the there's a lot of Christian symbolism oh that gosh. people have adopted as a result. And you know, just with him after he breaks out of jail and, and his arms go up, and he's mm-hmm. like baptized, yep, and yep. his arms go up, yep. and there's a light shining on him. So yeah, yeah, I can see that. And and that moment is kind of like feeding the others, taking mm-hmm. care of the other people, and that his joy comes from the compassion and the empathy and the ability to give to others. And he, and also, I mean, that's the deep message, but it's also the moment, and I think Red says this in the the narrating, it's something to the effect of it made him feel like, you know, made him feel like they had choice again, Mm -hmm. like that you're, that you're free, that, you know, it's not just about drinking the beer, but about being able to ask for it, to be able to do something beyond what's expected and then to be able to watch. And it also, that was where those guys became his friends. He was friends with Red, but the other guys weren't really on the Andy Dufresne bandwagon yet. Right. So that was the, that was the moment. Um, I think this is Red talking about, uh, after Andy escapes, um, and he just talks about how it sucks now that Andy's gone, but he's happy that Andy's gone. Yeah, yeah. Andy being gone, I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. And when they fly away, the part of you that knows it was a sin to lock them up does rejoice. But still... The place you live in is that much more drab and empty that they're gone. There you go. And then doesn't he say, and I miss my friend? Oh, uh, they cut it out. Oh, because then he says, and I just miss my I, friend. I guess I just miss my friend. That's Forrest Gump. Yeah, it wasn't very That's good. That's not red. So <clears throat> that scene also with the, the, not the scene, there's a million scenes, but his desire to create. So the two other scenes that are very Jesus-like, the music, the opera, mm-hmm. when he is finally shipped some things from Congress because he keeps writing letters every week saying, give us stuff for the library. And one of the records that gets shipped <clears throat> is an opera that he obviously recognizes and he puts it on and then allows the whole prison to listen to it, locks the door has a week of solitary confinement because of it. Right. That's got to be the um, the best scene in the movie. I don't know. What's the best scene in the movie? What's your best scene? Oh, the last minute. Really? The the end of that movie. I mean, I, I don't want to jump there too fast. I don't know. I mean, that's that's the obvious answer, and that doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. But when this song plays... they kind of like whatever pan away they pan away mm-hmm. and you see all the prisoners looking up at the speaker yeah, it's really it's a powerful moment. it's a moment and then when andy you think he's about to turn Open it off door. yeah and he turns it up right and he spent a lot of time in the hole for that he, a week and um he so why did he do that you know like what's the qu- i think he was being opportunistic and he wanted his fellow prisoners to th- to expand outside the walls of the prison and to hear love and to hear love do you want to know what the song's about what is it about i think it's from an opera called the marriage of figaro 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 Mm -hmm. um 
And in the movie, they say, I have no idea what they're singing about. Right. Actually, they're composing. It's two women that are composing a letter to the husband of one of them, inviting him to a meeting with the other in order to expose his infidelity. Mm. Seems pretty deep, too. So there's sadness and beauty. Yeah. And it really is an expansion of their hearts, right? And that's kind of what I meant by love. Like, you, when you live in those walls, you forget about feelings. You forget about joy you forget about you know this kind of feeling like it makes, from your heart it makes me want to go to an opera even though i don't think i would right but i don't know it's just really powerful and i i've never seen an opera have you ever gone to an opera i have and was it good um i fell asleep yeah that's I would, what i would do but here's the thing um my friend manisha her mom has gone to the opera manisha's whole life they sing in italian right um yeah some of them i mean there's also some where they sing and it's not in Italian, and those are a little rougher. That was one of the ones I saw. What I, do you mean they sing? Of course they sing. Right, but it wasn't in Italian, and they were they trying sing it to... In, Amer- in English? It was, I saw it at the San Francisco Opera House, and I think it was. <laughs> it may have just been a, like, they were trying something out, and it didn't work. Um, it was <laughs> so sad. Um, I a streetcar that. named Desire, and they turned it into an opera. Oh, boy. Yeah, it was rough. I was pretty tired. Yeah. You're and, probably out late the night before. I don't know. I don't think it was that. I think I just didn't have an appreciation quite yet, and I'm not quite sure it took hold. Mm. But anyway, um, she has gone her whole life with her mom, and I think it's kind of one of those acquired things where you start to, if you understand it and you know the people and you know the stories and you... I would have to do so much research yeah. before walking into an opera. Otherwise, I'd be like... Well, sweetie, and pretty woman. She only sees it once and she cries. Yeah, and I just don't think I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. Would you be one of those people walking into an opera cold and being impacted by a bunch of people singing? If in- I heard that voice... Right. Because some voices move you regardless of what they're saying. Correct. The one I saw in San Francisco... I would Streetcar say named desire. it was not <laughs> at that level. Um, it was it was confusing. Um, so let will you play that clip? Um, there was there's a podcast that Todd and I both really oh, yeah. love. Um, Sam Jones. It's called what does he call it? Camera something camera uh, off camera off camera. And he's had this podcast for many years. We've talked about it on Zen Parenting Radio many times before. And he has really good deep dives with actors and performers and directors and that kind of thing. And he has a conversation with Tim Robbins about Shawshank. And I, I think he makes some interesting points. So when you got Shawshank, could you just tell immediately reading it that it was in a class of its of its own? Well, it was a class of its own in the story that it was telling and that it resolved the way it resolved. That doesn't happen very often. A lot of happy endings are tacked onto films. They're not earned through a long process of a journey. Right, right. And this one got that. You got to the end of this thing and you went, oh my God, this, this is hopeful, this is life-affirming. It was a struggle to get there, but but at the end, it's uh, about something. It's about the human uh, capacity to survive, intellectually, spiritually, and physically. Yeah. This idea that you know. There you go. So I don't remember the first time we heard because I I heard this interview a long time ago, um, and maybe this is where we started talking about it. But you and I started discussing 
how not just with Shawshank, but about how an ending to a movie is earned. Yes. That started becoming part of our conversation where if we liked a movie or didn't like a movie, we'd be like, was that an earned ending? Right. Like we talked about that a lot with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Like very confusing ending. Like we just weren't quite sure. It, it was, it felt, talk about tacked on. Again, I, I, I get that that's everything we're aiming toward is mm-hmm. that end, but it, there was nothing, totally different movie, Quentin Tarantino had no desire to teach about hope right. in that movie. But what I'm saying is I, I I feel like Shawshank Redemption was the first movie that I had ever seen that I had no idea how it would keep going and keep going. Like, you think it's done after Andy breaks out. Right. Then you're like, okay, we're good. Yeah. And then you think it's done after Red gets out. Well, and, you know, the warden yeah. sh- shoots himself. Then you're and, like, we're done. Yeah. And it just kept getting better. And it kept going. And it kept, and I'm like, I remember, I may have, I may have been with you. No, it's 1997. We weren't together yet. Um, I was somewhere where I was saying, I can't believe they're showing all this to us. Like it, it was probably one of the most rewarding movie experiences I've ever had is I felt like for everything I went through, and I'm saying personally, because yeah, it was right. my movie watching experience for the first 30 minutes of this movie and just knowing that Andy spent 19 years in prison for something he didn't do. Never did. And he actually has a scene where he says, I was blamed for something I didn't do, and I've done 19 years and had all this... He doesn't use the word trauma, but he says, yeah. had all these experiences here. I think I've earned yeah. to live. Yes. To He said, I've earned a boat in a, in a hotel. Yes. So he's fine with it in himself. He's not like, oh, I'm going to break the law. He's like, I have done. Yeah, I'm he's done. paid his debt and then some. And then some. That's what he says. Yeah. And I just felt so rewarded at the end of this so movie. So here's what's fascinating about that clip, because I did a little research on this movie. Um, that is not the ending that Frank Darabont, the director and screenwriter, wanted. Oh, my God. The This is how he wanted the movie to end. Okay. This is exa- And then I'll stop the clip when it, he wanted it oh to end. Oh, my gosh. I'm so interested. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still a whole thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. Close credits. So this is what he was thinking. Well, and here's the thing: that whole that whole monologue brings tears to my eyes. Yeah. Like it's so beautiful. And I was thinking, I'm gonna I'm gonna not cry. Hold on one second. I was thinking how what Red says is even more impactful about only you know what a free man can feel, and that you know he's setting out on basically his first adventure, and he's 58. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like. He's just beginning his life, yeah. and he's fifty-eight years old. Where so many, so many of us are like, oh, you know, life is it's going down from here on. You choose. Just starting out. He's just beginning, and you know, if the movie would have ended there, 
I don't. It. I'm so glad it didn't end there. I'm so glad. Well, they there's gave only us... another minute left in the film. Oh, I know. And that minute is him with his tie on. Yeah. And the hat flying because yeah. of the wind. Yeah. And Andy's working on the boat. Yeah. And then they pull way back. Yeah. They don't let you see much. They of don't it. let you see much of it, which is good. And that was the compromise that the director did with the studio. Yeah. Because the studio is like. This, you've put this audience through hell. Right. You give need them to give them this. Yes. And he was like holding so tight to like, no, I want to, I want to, I don't want to like, I don't know what spoon the word feed is. Them. Spoon feed yeah. the ending. Right. And they convinced him to show that scene. And, but he didn't want like a, a close up embrace of the two. I'm glad. He just wanted to pull back. I think both endings would have been good, but there's no way we'd be talking about this movie if it would have stopped with the bus kind of going down the road. We we know that Andy's okay because we know he got his money. We yeah. see him in the convertible. Yeah. He sent the postcard to Red and said, I made it across the border. He didn't say it, yeah. but you know it. Yeah. So we know Andy's okay. But we don't know if we Red's, don't know Red's okay. It. And we deserve to know if Red's go okay. And then it's beautiful to see Andy healthy. Mm-hmm. His hair is cut. He's yeah. he's got the sun on him. He's healthy weight. Yeah. Like, you know, it's thoughtful what they have him wearing and yeah, doing. He's skinny. He's he In looks younger. He, yes, he looks excellent. Yeah. And we deserve to know he's okay too. And when I say we deserve, I'm putting that in air yeah. quotes. You know, the directors and writers can do whatever they want. I appreciate that they let us see that. Yeah. Because that's where I was like, I can't believe this is still going. It's a great ending. It's so good. And movies don't do that. So so what's interesting about it, before I play the second half of that okay. clip, is Tim Robbins is, is correct, but he's also like, you know, it has to be earned. Right. But it was the studio that convinced the director to, for lack of a better term, spoon feed the ocean boat beach scene. You know what? It's very subtle because if anybody, you can't look at movies and be like, this is the way they have to go. This is the structure. You kind of have to leave them hanging or this, this could have backfired on Mm. them, but it didn't, you know, like I, I don't think you can compare this movie to a lot of other movies. How long was the Shawshank? Two hours and 22 minutes. That's the other thing is some people like Tarantino and a few others, um, uh, who's the who? Judd, Judd Apatow always makes his movies longer, two and a half at least. But most movies are two hours or an hour and thirty. So you're not going to get to earn mm. things. Right. Um, and if you are invested in a, a movie like this, it it works. Well, we watched it yesterday, and it was the fastest two hours I've ever spent. <laughs> Didn't even think about it. All right, second half of this interview with Tim Robbins. You know, hope can keep us alive. And I think the reason why that film has resonated so deeply with so many people is because it's a message we don't often hear in a genuine way from our entertainment. Um, it's, it's something that talks about the long game, not immediate uh, satisfaction. You know, so many of us feel trapped in our own lives because we got a shitty job, we hate our job. We are in a difficult relationship with our spouse. We're, you know, whatever it is, I think metaphorically, Shawshank talks to all of those people yeah. about the idea that there is a place in the world, a beach in Zihuatanejo for all of us. There is a moment that is achievable. It's, it's, it's just you have to, you have to have patience and you have to keep very clear on who you are and what you want. And that eventually, hopefully, these kinds of things will happen. 
Tim Robbins. I know. I really mm. love Tim Robbins. When, what movies do you think of when you think of Tim Robbins other than Shawshank Redemption? Uh, Bull Durham. Yeah. I think of Mystic River. Yeah. Um, I think of, you, you've probably never seen the Hudsucker Proxy, right? Of course not, sweetie. Um, I think of, when else do I see Tim Robbins? Um, he was in um, High High Fidelity, or um, the John, the the Nick, whatever, what's his name? I think it was High Fidelity, John Cusack, um, movie where he works in the record store with Jack Black. Um. Yes, I know which one you're talking and about. And Tim Robbins went into this phase where, because in that movie, he is John Cusack's ex girlfriend's name is Laura, and he's Laura's boyfriend. Yeah. And it's totally random. Just like an anchor man. Are you going to play the anchor man quote? <laughs> Not so fast, you ingrates. <laughs> Public news team is taking a break from its pledge drive to kick some ass. No commercials. No mercy! No! They're, they're the best ones in that fight. Yes, they are. PBS. Um, and then don't forget about Bull Durham, unless you I, That was the first one I said. You? Oh, I think Bull Durham. So, okay, good. Yeah. Good job, sweetie. Yeah. I'm just, um, what does he say when he gives interviews? I'm just trying to win for the team. I'm just taking it one day at a time. Uh, good Lord willing, <laughs> something or other. So we should do Bull Durham. So day. I have deep thoughts about this hope thing with this movie. Go ahead. This is so I I struggle a little with the word hope, and not struggle because I think it's bad. I love hope, but I love Hope uh, Brady from Days of Our Lives, sweetie. But I think you, that's different. You know, she's still on there, Todd. I know she is. So is uh, Patch. Is Patch on no, there? No, Patch comes in and out, but Bo is still on there. Bo. Bo Brady. Those are two different people. That's yeah, right. But Patch is Steve Johnson. That's sweetie. right. Come on. And get, that's get Kayla. It together. Kayla? Patch dated Kayla. Kayla, yes. right. Dated. I think they married. Yeah. They started with the, the show, dating. Days of Our Lives is now, is now all the children of these people. These are like the matriarch and patriarchs now. Uh, probably. Nobody nobody really cares. They've been going at it for a while. Yeah. They've had a lot of tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> and then redemption. Okay. So here's the thing about Hope. I really... and. I think about with Zen Parenting Radio. So we started Zen Parenting Radio about nine years ago. And I always, when we were first starting out, thought about this movie with what I was hoping we could get across on the show. Not in the eloquent way that Shawshank Redemption does, but just that so much of us, so many of us go through our lives so, so cynical and so thinking that we already have it figured out and that if it looks one way today, then it'll always be that way. Or if I wasn't good at something yesterday, I won't be good at it tomorrow. Or if I didn't have a good relationship with my mother or my child, you know, we're just so like stuck in patterns. Mm -hmm, sure. And I kind of always thought that what I hoped Zen Parenting Radio would be, and I think what it's become, hopefully, is, is the idea that the long game, yeah. you know, and realizing what you do moment to moment contributes to that long game and that there is hope in every situation. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I say that when I'm teaching that I will, you know, I talk about things like, yeah, genetics play a role, but it's not the end all be all. Mm -hmm. Or yes, it's a struggle when someone's depressed, but it doesn't mean they'll be depressed their whole sure. lives. Like we're so stuck in like we, we go- Cynicism? Yeah. We're cynical- Negative and, thinking? And we're so used to being disappointed mm -hmm. that we never 
look at the light and say, that's a path too. And I think most of the time people are cynical because they don't want to be disappointed. So if they expect bad things to happen, then it removes a layer of disappointment. It's protection and defensiveness, but it works against them. Right. Because if you... They think they're doing it for themselves and actually they're swimming upstream. Absolutely. Because if you think in terms of, I might as well just believe nothing is going to go right. That's how you will experience things. That's how you'll see it. Mm -hmm. And even if something does go right, it'll be a very limited blip on your radar because you're already seeing the world through a certain set of glasses and rose colored glasses. I remember we did a show ages ago about that rose colored glasses aren't such a bad thing Mm -hmm. as long as you're not in denial about the challenges simultaneously. Well, I remember talking about it one time that, you know, cynics or negative thought behavior, like those people are probably more accurate and on how they view the world than the optimist, than the blind optimist. They're realists. The realists are probably, yeah, they're more more accurate. Mm -hmm. But the people that change the world are the optimists. Well, and it's also very relative. See, I get all messed up when we talk about research because the thing is, is the same thing can happen. And one person can look at it with one set of glasses and someone can look at it with another set of glasses. Like last night I was getting so frustrated. I was reading Psychology Today, which it's a good magazine, but they take their research and they like whittle it down to a paragraph. And so then they take like a very, you know, they'll be like, this equals this, Mm -hmm. or this turns into this. If you do this, you will be healthy. And that's just not nuanced enough. And it's, and it's also not, 100% true. Like that may be for that group of 200 people that live in Maine, but that doesn't apply to everybody else. And I I just feel like when a situation occurs, you have to choose how you're going to see it. And if you see it a certain way with a more optimistic or hope-filled way, you don't experience all the pain and suffering that someone who is quote unquote a realist has to experience. If every failure or blip or challenge you say, yep, that kind of sucks, but it's what, getting me closer yeah, to what, what I want. Yeah, what can I learn from this? Then it's not so grief-stricken and draining. Yeah. But my other thing about hope, and then I'll get off of this, is, you know, as somebody who has read every book that Thich Nhat Hanh has done and someone who reads a lot about Buddhism and obviously Zen Parenting Radio, even though we're not using it in a religious way at all, we're understanding the Buddhist philosophy and Eastern thinking, is that he always talks about how hope is really not a great thing because then you're wishing for something in the future rather than appreciating it in the now. It takes away from presence. Correct. So there's got to be a place in between there where it's like you do have to know the long game. Well, I think the idea of hope uh, in an unhealthy way is wishing something that weren't here. And what Thich Nhat says is you got to fall in love with what's in the now. Correct. And you have to practice it here. And if you're hopeful then you're, it, take, it removes you from this present moment. So the question is, can you be present and hopeful at the same time? Right. I think you can be. Me too. But so anyways. You can this, hold space for both. This is what Andy says about hope. Okay. To help me get my project on wheels, I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you and finds you well. Um, when you, so I think Thich Nhat and Andy Dufresne would have a debate. Well, I think that it would be a challenge to, 
I, I don't know if they would. I think some. That's kind of why I'm trying. It's how you to, frame it? It's how you frame it. It's. I think they're on the same page because think about what Andy said about being in solitary confinement and listening to Mozart in yeah. his mind. He carried presence with him everywhere he went. He really was. It's so interesting to talk about him as a Jesus figure because even the way he walked and his height, Mm -hmm. and they talked about at the very beginning of the movie how a lot of the inmates thought he was snobby because of the way he carried himself, and he just had a sense of being, Mm -hmm. and he he never, even with everything that happened to him, and he experienced a lot more than the majority of the inmates did, um, he remembered who he was, Mm -hmm. and I don't mean a banker, I mean, as a human being and that what he was deserving of, yeah. which was hope. And, and uh, you know, Todd, we, th- we, there's so many great quotes in this movie, but obviously that whole soliloquy about hope, but my favorite sentence of it is, you know, no good thing ever dies. Yeah. I believe that a million times over, right. just like we're energy and we never die. Me too. No good thing ever dies. Do you ever um, wish you could watch a movie over again for the first time? Yes, and that is why I wanted our girls to watch with us because I wanted to like vicariously live through their experience right. with the movie. Their surprise, their thinking, because yes. I can't go back. So at the rock wall, and I don't know if everybody knew this, did anybody think that what he was going to find at the rock wall, which is the letter from Andy mm-hmm. talking about red going to the rock wall. Mm-hmm. We all knew that it was going to be a letter from Andy, right? Or did, or were some of us surprised? I knew, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember I don't either. Remember. I don't, I would be making something up. Yeah. Um, one quick, I remember seeing it the first time though. And I think I had a really bad TV. Remember my very bad TV that I had. Yeah. And um, I couldn't see that that rock looked any different. Oh yeah, the lava, I was like, how the does black he, lava rock. How does he know that rock's the one? He's on it. Um, one issue I have with the movie, probably the only one, Andy puts on the warden's shoes yeah. when he walks back yeah. to his cell the night that he's going to escape from jail. Yeah, I don't buy that. Why? Why would he risk this this thing that he's been working on for eighteen years of digging a hole through this wall? Couldn't he just have? gone into the bank with different shoes as opposed to, I just think that that's, I'm not buying it. Oh, I am because he knew the warden wasn't going to be back till morning and he'd be gone by that. I know, but he had to walk with the guards, with the new black, with his war, with the warden's shoes on. As red says, who looks at a man's shoes anyway? I don't know. I I just feel like it's a lot to risk. Yeah. I mean that maybe that just lends to some movie suspense. Maybe. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. Um, my favorite quote in this movie, Uh easy peasy Japanese. I know you say it all the time. And that was Brooks. Uh, that was Brooks. We haven't talked about Brooks. Um, a few other good quotes. I guess it comes down to a simple choice. Get busy living or get busy dying. Um, and that was it. Those, those are the only ones I had. And that one, um, I have that one upstairs in my meditation area because it's very similar to many quotes. You know, get busy living, get busy dying. Like, or you know, Matthew McConaughey saying, "Just keep living." Uh, Dory saying, "You know, just keep swimming." Yeah. Like, you got to choose a direction. Yep. You know, every moment of the day, you got to choose a direction. And it's okay to get a little kicked back, you know, two steps forward, one step back. It's okay if you're knocked back or you're challenged or you have a day where you're low. Um, That's not a problem. But then when you're done, you got to make a choice. Just keep swimming, Mm -hmm. you know, get busy living, you know, because the opposite is dying. Um, One other quote. How can you be so obtuse? It's my favorite one. 
It's, I mean, no, no good thing ever dies is my favorite one. But he actually says, how can you be so obtuse? Is it deliberate? Yeah. Like it's a great, it's, that is Andy is an educated man who also is fair and just. And the warden feels so put off by that comment. Well, he feels inferior to Andy. Exactly. He probably doesn't even know what that means. Now, the first time I saw it, I didn't know what obtuse meant either. I did. Did you? Well, I did just not. just geometrically. I, you know, I get that, yeah. but I didn't know how to use it in yeah. a sentence Yeah, yet. it was not in my repertoire. Um, and it is probably one of, I mean, again, it's not the deepest line, but it's my favorite thing that he says. Kathy wanted them to make a sequel and call it Shawshank 2, Red and Andy Build a Hotel. <laughs> Why didn't they do that for us? It'd be a boring movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny to think about, though. (laughs) Shawshank 2, Red and Andy build a hotel. (laughs) I'd watch it. Just watching them, like, hire contractors and start hammering wood, get building hotels. Sanding the boat at night. Sanding the boat. I'd, I'd watch it just to see these two people act. And drink Coronas and have deep talks and play chess. Yeah. I'm in. And, you know, they could bring in the hotel staff. They could have the quirky person at the desk. There's a lot of good acting opportunities in in Shawshank, too. Are you ready ready for my (laughs) random facts? (laughs) Sure. I need need random facts music. All right. If if there's any musicians out there, create me a song that just says (laughs) random facts, pop culturing, woo, woo. That's like, Wayne's world. Yeah, whatever. You, <laughs> you, you, you musicians, you know how to do it. Um, I already talked about the opera song. We'll cross that one off. Okay, in the movie, Red says I committed murder. When Andy asks him why he's in Shawshank, the novella, or as I like to call it, short stories, uh-huh. explains it in detail. Red is serving three life sentences for murdering his wife, his neighbor's wife, and his neighbor's son. Red disconnected the brakes on his car in order to kill his wife and collect on an insurance policy. He did not plan on two other people joining his wife for her ill-fated drive. He was 18. Maybe How was he, got he married? married? You don't think people got married in 18 and 1920? I thought he, I thought it was like armed robbery and he shot somebody. Um, Where did I get that? That sounds familiar. I feel like that's what they say in the movie. You could be right. I read this. And then to tell everybody who in the, when he's doing the parole and he doesn't get the parole acceptance and they do the the stamp and it says declined and there's a picture of What looks like uh, Morgan Freeman younger. That's his actual son. They had him do that. So um, Tim Robbins once credited the movie as being uniquely non-sexual love story between two men. For sure. It's absolutely a romance. And here's the thing. And when I say a romance, I'm meaning a love story between two men and how they became more evolved beings because of their relationship with each other. It has nothing to do with sex. It's about just a love of another person and connection. And it's interesting because one of the negatives about this movie or something that people say is not great is the the Bechdel test, you know, the test that's the measure of female representation. Oh, yeah. There's zero. There's two women. Well, there's a cashier. Yeah. And then the wife. And the banker. And the banker. And the wife has like a moment at the beginning. Yeah, or there's somebody at the bank. Um, So there aren't a lot of women in this movie, except the thing is, is there shouldn't be. Right. They're in a men's prison. So I kind of don't look at that. You got to give them a reprieve on this one. 
when the warden flips through Andy's Bible after his escape, he finds the cutout space where Andy's digging tool was hidden, starting in the book of Exodus, which tells the story of Hebrew slaves escaping from Egypt. Exodus literally means to escape or to depart. Love it. Um, this isn't that good, but I'll say anyways. Red describes Andy's dream as a shitty pipe dream, which was when he's talking <laughs> about Mexico. Yeah. During his escape to live that dream, Andy calls crawls through a pipe filled with raw sewage. Yeah, I'm sure that was purposeful. There's four deleted scenes in this movie. Okay. Tell me if you think any of them should have stayed in there. Mm-hmm. A sequence where the convicts find Jake... That's oh, the crow. I love Jake. Dead in a field sometime after Brooks had left the prison and the convicts give Jake a funeral and burial. This deletion ends up providing a subtle thematic shift as scripted both Brooks and Jake represent the dangers of instant institutionalization. But as de- depicted on screen, Jake ends up foreshadowing Andy's successful escape in the climax of the film. He does? Well. Oh, so they use Jake instead as a free bird. So he's more like. Well, I. I don't know. It's a good question. Well, you know, when Brooks gets out, he has a moment where he's feeding pigeons on a bench and hoping he said, that Jake shows up, hoping that Jake shows up yeah. and Jake never does. You know what? I wouldn't have minded that scene. What about this one? Tommy's young wife visiting him. Their conversation is providing a more vivid illustration into why Tommy decides to turn his life around. Yeah, no, I didn't need that. Didn't need that. Tommy's a side character. After Andy's escape, an unfortunate guard is sent to his tunnel to see where it leads. And when he sees the sewage pipe broken, smells the overwhelming of odor, he vomits loudly. Red hears this happen from his own cell and cracks up laughing. He's sent to the solitary confinement for two weeks where he continues laughing, thus learning for himself what Andy, uh, in the aftermath of the loudspeaker incident, had meant about easy time in the hole. Huh. I don't know if I needed it, but I love that story. Yeah. I don't think I needed it, but it would have been cool. It's nice, yeah. Last but not least, Red's feelings of the 1960s after he's par- is paroled, as well as a panic attack in the grocery store that sends him running for a bathroom cubicle that calms him down because it reminds him of his cell, thus making his choice to find the tree and rock wall more meaningful because it runs counter to Brooks's choice. I didn't need to see Red in more pain. Yeah. I think we got the gist that yeah. he when he gives his speech before his um, actually being paroled, we get the gist. Uh, Tommy is not killed in the novella. After agreeing not to testify on Andy's behalf, he is sent to another prison. That's a change that had to happen. Yeah. I think that one of the reasons it's important is that part of the... I mean, Clancy, whatever his name is in the movie, I keep calling him Clancy because that's the actor. He's the one who shoots him. Yeah. And that's really what he goes to prison for mm-hmm. when the cops come obviously it's all of the warden's banking sure. finance issues and him like you know what do they call it scraping the skimming this skimming this yeah skimming yeah. it off the top or... but the other guy goes to prison because he shot yeah. tommy right. so if that wouldn't have been in there because you can't prove that he's beating up right you know right beating up other inmates. Uh, Frank Darabont, the director, watched Goodfellas every Sunday while shooting this film and drew inspiration from it on using voiceover narration and showing the passage of time. Oh, I think that's wonderful. And in some movies, it works so well. And I think it has a lot to do with who's doing it. Morgan Freeman has made a complete living out of being a They hired him, obviously, for his acting ability, but his voice was perfect. Perfect. It was perfect. And in Goodfellas, totally different energy. And Ray Liotta is perfect. Yeah. Like it's not supposed to be calming and soothing and talking about hope. It's about somebody going down. He 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 gets busy dying. 
He does. Um, and I think this will be the last one I read. Okay. Although it is never directly stated in the film, Brooks is in prison for allegedly murdering his wife and daughter after losing after a losing streak at poker. Yeah, they I don't, don't want to think of Brooks Neither as anything I. other than a sweet old man. Neither do I. That's the thing. You kind of forget that these people, these characters... Broke are... major laws. They're not horrible. Like this is, this gets us into the uh, Brian uh, Stevenson thing. Yep. Is, you we know, are not our worst act. We are not our worst act. Yeah. Like, yes, they are prisoners and yes, they need to serve time. And yes, that they have consequences to those choices, but it's not all of who we are. Yeah. So, um, this, and especially all these men, they're institutionalized. They've been there for 20 some years, some of them. Um, what's his name? Uh, Red was there for 40. Yeah. So, you know. Um, to close the show, I, I I played most of the clips I wanted to, but I feel like there's a powerful one about when he actually gets parole, when he's talking to his parole yeah. board. Yeah. That might be a good way to end it. Sure. Does that sound good? So are we ending like we should say goodbye oh. now? Oh, yeah. But we are going to do a um, preview of next week's oh, episode. Oh, yeah. So next week we're going to talk about this. Jerry! Yeah, what, what, what can I do for you, Rod? You just tell me what can I do for you. It's a very personal, very important thing. Hell, it's a family model. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. I just want to make sure you're ready, brother. Here it is. Show me the money. Oh, that's going to be a fun one to one do. One of my favorite scenes of all time. As much as that that has been overused as one of the quotes from that movie, that scene. Yeah. Talk about a scene that you could watch again and again and yeah. again. Um, so before you close sure. and play this, sure. again, everybody... Todd and I have another podcast called Zen Parenting Radio. If you like talking or listening to things about pop culturing, you'll like Zen Parenting Radio. We do the same thing, but kind of flip it the other way, where we talk about something regarding self-awareness and we bring in pop culture. We also have a conference that we do every year. This is our fifth annual Zen Parenting Conference, February 28th and 29th. Um, and Chicago, we, Illinois. Chicago, Illinois. Um, go to... Um, zenparentingradio.com, click events. If you are a parent, um, if you are an educator, if you are a teen, if you are a college student, if you are a therapist, this is, or just somebody who likes this show and likes Zen Parenting, you will love this conference. It is so warm and welcoming every year. And this year we're talking about parenting, gender, leadership. Um, we have Rachel Simmons, who's a fantastic author focusing on women's issues. We have Tony Porter, who is a fantastic author focusing on healthy masculinity. And we have our friend, Dr. John Duffy, who talks about anxiety with parenting and teens, um, plus more. That's not the, that's not it, but go to zenparentingradio.com and it out. get your tickets. Yeah. Um, all right. This is red, uh, talking to the parole board. Uh, it's his third try. Young fellas like yourself can wear a suit and a tie and have a job. What do you really want to know? Am I sorry for what I did? Well, I am. As not a day goes by, I don't feel regret. Not because I'm in here, because you think I should. I look back on the way I was then. A young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. I want to talk to him. I want to try to 
Anton's obsessed to him. Tell him the way things are. But I can't. That kid's long gone, and this old man is all that's left. I gotta live with that. Rehabilitated. It's just a bullshit word. So you go on and stamp your form, Sonny, and stop wasting my time. Because to tell you the truth, I don't give a shit. listening everyone remember to subscribe to zen parenting so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave a review on itunes it helps people find us and it's time to get your tickets for the zen parenting conference 2020 i got my tickets the chicago tribune called it Lollapalooza for parents parentapalooza yes zen parenting conference is like Lollapalooza for parents um so this year we have women and girls leadership expert, Rachel Simmons. Can't wait. And we also have healthy masculinity expert and activist, Tony Porter. I love this man. I know, Todd and I love these two, and we love them so much that not only are they going to be keynotes, but they're also gonna be doing midday- Breakouts. Breakouts, so you can get some time with these two experts. This conference is for parents and teenagers, and if you don't have a teenager, but you have a five-year-old, they'll get to be teenagers, so this conference is for you. And for educators, and for therapists, and for counselors, and anybody who works with families or teens. And not just uh, moms, I want the dads. And that's why we're doing, that's what we're doing this year, is we're focusing on gender, we're focusing on parenting, and we're focusing on leadership. And the theme for this year, is there's more to the story. There is. There's more to all of these things than we realize. Um, and pre-conference workshop and Dr. John Duffy. Don't forget about that. Dr. John Duffy is going to be talking about his new book, Parenting the Teen in the Age of Anxiety. And then Todd and I are going to be giving a sex talk to parents and teens. Let's talk about these difficult things that we have such a hard time bringing up so we can support our kids and so our kids feel validated and heard. And we have a pre-conference for moms and we have a pre-conference workshop for dads. And on Saturday, we have a panel that is going to focus on transgender and on non-binary identification because we are talking about gender, but gender is not what we used to think of it as. That's right. It's not just women and men. There's much in between. So. We are going to be discussing that, and everyone's going to be leaving this conference with an expanded view of ourselves and others. You're going to leave inspired with tools in the toolbox. Uh, mark your calendars, October 25th through the 27th. Kathy and I are going to be teaching at 1440 Multiversity in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. Uh, if you're interested, just go to our website, click on events. It's going to be off the hook. And then we also have this thing called Team Zen, which we talk about every week. Zero pressure, 100% support. Uh, we have two Zen talks a month. You get an opportunity to ask us questions live. We have experts that we bring on to the Zen talks. There's 60 plus podcasts that are not available to anybody else other than Team Zen members. There's a micro community, Facebook page, discount, 
off of everything we offer, and it's 25 bucks a month, so you can't beat it. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you are there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. So this fall and this spring, Kathy and I are offering a talk. It's called Sex Education for the 21st Century. If you're interested, just go to our website, and you can find out more. Uh, so two things for guys. I do one-on-one coaching, so if you're interested, guys, go to toddadamscoaching.com for a session is free. We can do it virtually virtually or in person. And don't forget about the Tribe Men's Group. Uh, We have uh, virtual meetings. We have in-person meetings. We do an annual retreat. And all we're trying to do is connect men in an authentic way so that we live longer, more fulfilling lives. And if you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Finally, I want to give special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net. Keep on trucking.